Listen, there was a roar in the house that I felt tonight in the presence of God as you lifted up your voices. I mean, it really just for me, it, it affirmed just kind of what's on my heart tonight to encourage you to worship and watch God fight. That's my message tonight. And I was like, Lord, is this, is this the message for tonight? I was kind of looking over it, you know, through my notes uh, early this afternoon. And then I stepped into this house, and Lydia got up there and said, hey, this is a little bit more than just music. This has to be your song of faith. And I was like, yep, that's it. We're just going to worship and watch God fight. And I am just so grateful for the way you all lean into the presence of God. I, I, I just, I'm just so grateful for just your yes and your heart and your soul and your mind committed to God for the glory of his name. I'm telling you, you keep worshiping like that and watch what God's going to do. And that kind of worship comes out of, a, out of a life of prayer, out of a life lived, developing this discipline to, to pray and to seek God. Your worship life your, 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 the way you lift up your voice, the way, the way you cry out unto the Lord through your song of faith is a reflection of your prayer life. Your prayer life strengthens that, that cry for more, that cry for God's presence, that cry for freedom, that cry for his holiness. And tonight I heard, I heard, a, I heard a cry that, that God is cultivating amongst this incredible generation called and set apart for the glory of his name. As you turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I just want to just open up in prayer. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the roar of praise, the shout of worship, the cry for more. Lord, I thank you for this week of prayer. I thank you for how you have met us each and every day. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that indwells us. Your Holy Spirit that aligns us to your word, aligns us to your will. God, I pray now that as we take time to open up your word, that you will speak. Give us a greater revelation of your truth. Give us a deeper understanding of your word, and we will give you all glory and honor, and we will worship and stand and behold the victory that you have given your people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Second Chronicles chapter 20, if you got it, say amen. Oh man, I love the word of the Lord. And I was just thinking too, Dr. A, he's like, whoa, man, could you imagine that? I'm so, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm visual, so I'm like, as you're saying, whoa, could you imagine if Jesus came back to get us in the middle of our time to receive the word? There was a little bit of me that was like, oh, man, I was kind of hoping it would happen and be right beside my wife and kids. But Lord, let it be according to your word. Amen. I see her up there. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The relationship will be a little different, but praise the Lord. Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. After this, 
the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Menunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude, not just a small number of people, not just a tiny little army, but a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Stop right there. These enemies that were coming against Jehoshaphat, for me, these enemies represent Still today, the concentrated effort by the enemy and the powers of darkness to destroy God's church and his purpose for your life. And remember, every time that I refer to the church, I'm talking about the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is you and I. You and I, we are the church. We are the body of Christ. Still today, the enemy has not let up. I referred to this a little earlier today, and so this is like a continuation so that you would understand that he wants to sabotage your mission, your purpose, and your calling. And he's trying to stop you from moving forward as a testimony of the gospel. And so still today, in alignment to this Old Testament scripture, I see that these attacks that we read about are simply a reflection of what you're facing each day. And they are spirits that have been assigned to dismantle your calling. But as you continue to stand on this firm foundation, know and trust and believe in faith that God's going to keep you moving forward as you continue to worship and watch God fight for you. And I'm going to tell you, your generation has to understand the complexities and the realities and the truth of the spirit realm that's going on around you. Spirits that have been assigned to attack your generation and my generation and the generation above me and the generation to come. The spirit of, of deception, the spirit of hatred, the spirit of violence, the spirit of fear, the spirit of anger, the spirit of depression, the spirit of loneliness. And again, I'll keep referring to it, but there's come this casual approach to the spiritual things that you need to know that are made very clear in God's Word. And if you don't understand it all, you will always draw back rather than move forward in the power of his spirit. Verse 3. Then upon hearing this news and receiving this update that there is this great multitude, three different armies coming from three different directions are coming to attack. Here's Jehoshaphat's re uh, reaction. He was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Look at this, verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. As I looked at this particular verse, I realized that actually, in truth, it's normal to experience trials and circumstances that will cause fear. And God allows certain things to happen for us to grow in faith in order to combat the struggle that maybe some of you even right now have with fear. And it challenges you and I to trust him and to recognize our need for him as Savior. And in 2 Timothy 1, 7, I'm reminded when I read this that God's not given you a spirit of fear, 
but of power, love, and a sound mind. But fear is a reality. Fear is something that you're going to have to continue to combat. Fear is something that is constant in your lives. But regardless of how constant fear is, there's something greater. It's faith in King Jesus. Faith in his word. Faith that is cultivated in your prayer life. Faith that needs to be put into practice each and every day in order to combat the enemies that come against you each and every day. This is why Dr. A is asking you, are you excited about the word? Because faith coming through hearing and hearing through the word of God. So Jehoshaphat says, listen, for me, I imagine the reality in this moment of, of recognizing that enemies are coming from three different sides. A great army is coming. A great army is coming. I'm afraid. But regardless of how I feel in the natural, I'm going to set my face to King Jesus. He sets his face to seek the Lord. How do you react in those moments of fear? Because the only way you're going to fight fear is face God. And the only way you're going to face God is to go to the Word. You can't face the enemy of fear without facing God. You can't confront the enemy of doubt and unbelief without inquiring and consulting the Lord. In verse 4, and Judah, representing the church, assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. I'm reminded in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, that we should not stop gathering together with other believers, as some of you are doing. Instead, we must continue to encourage each other even more as we see the day of the Lord coming soon. When you seek the Lord, you will see your situation differently. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me. Dr. A gave us a prophetic word this morning, and he referred to this very text that if you seek him, you'll find him. And when you seek me with all your heart, and this is why, this is why you and I have to continue to stay in the word and pray. Listen, this is why you and I have to continue to carry, and not just carry, but put on the armor of God. And one of the very important pieces to it is the breastplate of righteousness that you have to wear to protect your heart. Stop giving your heart to just anybody. That's why so many people find themselves in crisis, because we we find ourselves giving our heart up fully to to Jesus, and and we want to keep focus on Jesus, but then there's this little other part of us that wants to kind of give up to something else that shouldn't be. Hmm. But when there's a clear kingdom focus, you're all in, heart and soul. When there's a clear kingdom focus that's cultivated out of prayer, you share nothing with anything and everything. You're all in, fully, wholeheartedly given to God. And in verse 5, And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, you with me? Say amen. amen. Oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Jehoshaphat is committing the situation to God. 
it, it begins with us still today acknowledging that only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can save his children. Only Jesus can save our family. Only Jesus can save our city. Only Jesus can save. And I love how they come together and they cry out and they declare God alone to be Savior. In verse 7, they continue on, did you not our God drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Verse 7 reminds us to rehearse the faithfulness of God. Remember where he's brought you from. Remember his grace and protection that has kept you all these years. In verse 8, and they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name. Saying in verse 9, this is critical. If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name, Jesus, is in this house. And cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. Man, I love verse 7 and 8 and 9 that are this beautiful expression in prayer, encouraging one another as they've gathered together that God saves and that God's been faithful before us, presently, and going forward. And you've got to continue to rehearse the goodness and the faithfulness of God. You've got to rehearse the beauty of his mercy and his grace. Oh, come on. I think every single one of us can look back five years ago and know and remember, man, <laughs> I was not necessarily in the best place. Some of you can look back just a year ago and remember, wow, thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. Some of you can remember just last week, where you kind of were in your thinking. But oh, thank God that he's given you his power, his love, and a sound mind. You see, very, very often uh, the people, people who don't know our God who saves struggle to be able to look back and recognize his faithfulness. People who don't know King Jesus as Lord and Savior always find themselves looking back over their shoulder in fear, looking back over their shoulder with regret, looking back over their shoulder and feeling like they can't move forward because of shame and humiliation and the guilt of what they've done wrong. But when you have been clothed with the garment of praise and the robe of righteousness, you find yourself able to look back from time to time and remember his mercy and remember his grace without regret. And remember that God has saved me from my past. And so I know that I can continue to move forward. And so they gather together, Jehoshaphat and, and everyone, everyone, dads and mamas and children and everyone, they gather together, they're fasting and they're praying and they're declaring God to be God. And you got to picture this, a great multitude of, of soldiers are on their way. They're not even running around trying to figure out strategically what to do. They begin in prayer. The first reaction to every crisis is to pray. You hearing what I'm saying? Your first reaction to every dilemma, every struggle, every moment of uncertainty is to stop and pray. 
Because if you react out of fear, you'll step into a strategy that's not God-ordained. Remember what we talked about yesterday? Inquire of the Lord. Inquire of the Lord. Consult the Lord before you take that next step. Pray. And so they gathered together and they began, to, they began to declare God the God who saves, the God who heals, the God who delivers, the God who protects, the God who, who saved our, our, our fathers and our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers. Oh, praise the Lord. He's faithful, Elam. He's faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, I've enjoyed having con conversation with Dr. A as he can, as he, as we took time to sip on coffee a little earlier today. Man, such a good cup. But what was even better was just listening to Dr. A express his joy and excitement to see God move once again on this campus, to see God stir up your hearts in such a way where that cry of worship that we just heard right now will, will create a kingdom ripple effect across the globe. You can't see 10 years ahead of you right now, but guess who can? God. So cry out to the one who knows where you're going to be in the next 10 years. Cry out to the one who's not way up in the sky still trying to figure out who you're going to marry and where you're going to land and what, what career you're going to step into and what's your calling. He's not trying to figure it out. Matter of fact, he's resting on the throne of your heart saying, be still, be still and know that I am God. They could come from every direction, but I'm okay. Oh, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Don't, don't you dare allow fear to consume you. I do a bit of reading, and I, I love generational study. I think I get it from my dad, but we love generational study. We can talk hours about generate the builders, the boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, and now Alpha. Oh, my goodness. And it's amazing and interesting how the world labels these, gen these generations and their effort to, to, to figure out the timelines of life. And when the world, that, that's really where some of that comes from. They're trying to figure out when the world will eventually end. So, you know, remember, they didn't like my generation too much, you know, so they called us Gen X. They just wanted to X us out. And, 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 if, and if you look at actually the actual numbers, my generation is actually the smallest of the generations. But we're, 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 we're the children of the boomers. We're, we're, that, we're, that, gener we're that generation, that generation X that was, that was always told, not your time, not your time, relax, be still, you're not ready, you're not ready. And then all of a sudden, another generation came up, millennials. And, and the world thought that the millennials were going to be the greatest innovators and, and then the greatest creators. Uh, and yeah, they were. They were pretty good. A selfie stick. Why? Because the millennials didn't want anybody's help. They wanted to figure it out on their own. And then came Gen Z. And during that, during, the, during that period where Gen Z was just beginning and just rising up, remember that people were trying to throw out dates as to when the world was going to come to an end? Well, that didn't happen. You shouldn't have named them Gen Z. 
Now that they realize, whoa, that's not the last of the generations and the world definitely is not coming to an end. All of a sudden now, society goes, oh, let's give a new name to these new babies that are coming up. Alpha. Wow, really? And here we are, the world constantly trying to dictate and determine time. So much so that they call this young generation alpha as if it's a new beginning. You do not control time. My God controls time. He is alpha and omega. So stop trying to dictate and determine the characteristics of different generations. And what it's done, it's created a lot of noise. And I'm telling you right now, silence the lions because every generation matters right now. And this is why when Jehoshaphat called a fast and a time to pray, he gathered every generation together. Every generation came together. This is why scripture gives it to us very clearly how children and mothers and fathers all gathered together and began to pray. Now go with me to verse 10. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit just so that I don't get stuck on those two verses because there's a lot to it, but I just want to say this. It is safe for you to express your concerns to God in prayer. The safest place to dump your mess is in the hands of God. If you've got complaints, if you've got concerns, if you've got fears, if you've got worries, because 10 and 11 is, is the people of God in prayer expressing this deep concern in this deep struggle that they're facing in regards to the challenges and, and, and what they've been facing. But verse 12, oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless. Y'all with me say amen. For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do. We confess we're human, broken, flawed, desperately in need of a Savior. I don't know what to do. You don't have to always have the right answers. But our eyes are on you. You see, a kingdom focus is the only way to fight forward. Without a kingdom focus, you expect to be able to understand in the natural what your situation is. And if you don't understand what the situation is, and if you don't know how to navigate the situation, you find yourself stuck. And the only time you should stand, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but there are times where people feel stuck and their feet are glued to the ground when God is saying to move forward. But there comes a moment where God is calling you to stand. Being stuck is a lot different than standing. Verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, Alpha, their wives, and their children, Gen Z, Millennial, Gen X, Boomer, they were all there. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Beniah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of this assembly. Woo! And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel. So I, I really enjoy like studying just kind of like 
family lineage and, uh, and a, a lot of just interesting stuff that you can really draw on as, as you're reading through Scripture. I, I don't like to skip anything. Uh, that, you know, that's, that's, that's my struggle sometimes as I go through Scripture. Uh, but it's a good struggle. I want to know what every bit of this means. And so when I was looking at Jehazel and the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, I, I realized that this lineage of Levites were actually called to lead worship. And I, I found out that Jehaziel was actually a young man. He would be equivalent to like a Gen Zer and a millennial, kind of somewhere between those two generations. And his role in the assembly and in the gathering was to lead worship. That was the position that he'd been given. Stay with me. Everyone look up. Jehaziel's position in the assembly was to lead worship. But your position should never limit the, perf limit the purposes of God in your life. Jehaziel had a position that he carried, but the position had no limits, no boundaries. Meaning this, that God desires to take us simply beyond positions that you carry. Jehaziel received a stirring from the Spirit of the Lord, the worship leader. They're all gathered in prayer. They're not singing yet. Jehazel hasn't stepped into the role that he's been assigned to. But the Spirit of the Lord gives him a new assignment, a new position, a new role. And all of a sudden, Jehazel opens up his mouth, filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 15, and he says, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, could you imagine him just suddenly beginning to speak? I mean, there's, there's Jehoshaphat here, all of these leaders all around in the room, and they're crying out to God, and all of a sudden, a young worship leader goes, listen, everybody. I know in some spaces, they try to shut him up. I've seen it, actually. I know in some spaces, position determines your level of spirituality. When it's really the Holy Spirit and nothing but the Holy Spirit that calls us in, into a place of doing extraordinary things and speaking when God calls us to speak. Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. He's like, listen, King, listen, thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours. But God's. And another translation for the battle is not yours, but it's the Lord's. Then he goes on to say this. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. He keeps talking because the Holy Spirit has filled him. He still has this incredible prophetic word. You will not need to fight in this battle Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. I don't know about y'all, but this gets me excited. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Oh, let, 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 me, let, let, let me bring this to you so that you understand it for yourself. 
because I need you to get excited about this word that reminds you and I today that whatever you are battling, it was never your place to fight it. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. Uh, let, let, let me back up so that you can understand the importance of this. Because with, with, without you understanding how much the Father loves you, you will find yourself stuck when the battle is coming towards you. Watch. I've, I've learned so much from my children, and the relationship that I have with them continues to kind of reveal to me the beauty of knowing the difference between standing and knowing that the battle is not mine, it's the Lord's. It's a, there's a difference between standing and being stuck. See, when you're stuck, you're operating out of fear. And oftentimes when you're stuck, you're going to begin to take steps out of the position that God's called you into. When you're stuck, suddenly fear begins to navigate the trajectory of your life. But when you're standing on the promises of God, when you stand regardless of what's coming against you and you know that your Father in heaven's got you, the Lord of the breakthrough is going to take care of you. You stand and wait for him to rescue you. You stand and you wait for him to move on your behalf. You stand regardless of what's going on around you. I used to live on the Upper West Side. I lived on the Upper West Side for five years on 94th in Columbus, one block over from Central Park. Great neighborhood. And my kids grew up there for a season. And my daughter was about four, four years old, about four or five years old. And she loved to run ahead of mommy and daddy. And we, we stayed in this one particular building on the corner of 94th. And, and, you know, there was a security guard there. And it was a kind of a gated community, nice little community. But once you crossed through the doors and the security guard would buzz you in, you know, there was this kind of open lobby and the elevator right in front of you. And we lived on the sixth floor. And so we were coming from the grocery store. My wife and I had all of these bags. And our little five-year-old little girl, Zaina, who's now 19 years old, she ran ahead. And the security guard was accustomed to seeing her running ahead, and he would buzz her in. And we kind of followed in. But she took this strange initiative for the first time to run through the open doors, to run straight to the elevator that kind of swung open at the exact time that she ran up to it. She assumed that we were right behind her, and she ran right into the elevator and turned around. And when she turned around, the doors just started to close. And I saw her eyes just widen like golf balls, afraid. And my wife looked at me and said, oh, no, all right, all right, what are we going to do? She's going to come out of the elevator on the sixth floor. She's going to panic. There are going to be people up there. And I looked at Tara, and I said, I don't think she's going to move. I honestly think Zaina's going to stand until I find my girl. And Tara was like, well, you can do that. And she just darted up like the stairs and like ran up, the sixth, up to the sixth floor. And I stayed right in front of the elevator. And do you know? After about two minutes, my daughter refused to move, and she hit the lower level. She could have stepped out in fear and attempt to navigate on her own that floor. But Zanus decided, it is better for me to stand and wait for my father. And there I stood, and the elevator comes down, and it opens up. 
She's not crying loud. She's not yelling. She's not screaming. There are two crocodile tears coming down because she's dealing with fear, but she had the faith to believe that if I just stand and wait, my father will come get me. Regardless of whether the elevator doors are closing, regardless of whether I, I don't even know what's going to happen up or down, but I'm going to wait for my father. Hey, Elam students, stand. Do not allow fear to cause you to come to a place where you get stuck and you start trying to navigate life on your own. Stand. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. I was on the train one time. It was crowded. If anybody knows anything about a New York City train and subway system, especially during rush hour period, it is pretty wild in the morning and around that 5 o'clock hour. And I remember I was on my way into the city, and it was an early morning, that rush hour time where everyone's heading to work and where families are trying to get their kids off to school. And, you know, in New York City, they don't really create no room for you. Everyone minds their own business. Not everyone is necessarily friendly. It's tough to navigate and a lot to process. So I get on the train, and I was in the right position. Train comes in. It's already crowded. Doors swing open. I'm just kind of like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And I kind of push my way through because I really didn't want to be by the doors. I wanted to kind of get into the middle. And then when you're finally in the middle of one of the particular cars, it's really interesting to kind of watch people through the windows as they're kind of flying around trying to figure out which doors to run into and squeeze into within just a matter of seconds before the doors close. And I watched a mother. I watched a mother with her little child. She was only about three years old. I watched her, like, try to scoot by some people. And she came right through the doors that I came through. But she could barely come in and as she was coming in she was dragging her daughter and the doors closed on her three-year-old daughter's wrist and in that moment now for those of you that that may not understand this most trains will not move until the sensor realizes that everything is completely sealed but that three-year-old girl let out a blood-curdling scream of fear that shook everyone in the train but, you know, no one moves. No one grabbed the doors. And she was screaming and she was screaming. I saw the mother just holding her like this through the doors. And she's screaming and she's screaming. And I'll never forget, the mother said, baby, shh. Listen to my voice. That's what she said. I will not let you go. Just keep your eyes on me. That little girl just calmed down. And the doors popped open, and she came running into her mother's arms. And it was such a beautiful picture of what life can look like when we're trying to maneuver through crowds and people, and we're trying to journey through life. And suddenly, sometimes it can feel like the doors close on you. Sometimes it's like the doors of unbelief, the doors of discouragement, the doors of depression, the doors of anxiety can sometimes go boom right on you. And you're like barely holding on, and you feel like you're screaming out loud in your mind. And the Lord would say to you, Elam students, shh. Be still and know that I'm never going to let you go. The doors of this world can swing closed on you. you. Some of you have faced rejection over and over and over again. And the doors have been slamming on you. But thus saith the Lord, I've got a hold of you and I'm never going to let you go. Stand. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. Be still and know that he is God. Hey, could someone just come up 
it looked like he was a saviour. You, you, you know what happened? Hallelujah. Take your time, sis. Take your time. She's having a moment. I think we're all having a moment. But that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. So you play under the power of the Holy Spirit. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they all fell down before the Lord. And they began worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohatites and the Korahites stood up. To praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. It, at Soul Cry Church, one of the things that we're exercising right now is being able to be led by the Holy Spirit when it should be a loud cry and when it should come to a holy hush. That's, that's what we get right there. It's, 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 a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture of what I remember Elam to be. And even over these last few days, I've, I've looked at this verse and went, man, that's the hill right here at Elam. It's moments where we, where we cry out to the living God. Remember, there were some that stood and cried out, and then there were others that were laid out prostrate. And both positions represent a surrender to the living God. Are you still with me? Say amen. I just, I just want to give you just a little bit more. Listen, and they rose early in the morning went out into the wilderness of Tekoa and when they went out Jehoshaphat stood and said hear me Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem believe in the Lord your God and you will be established believe his prophets and you will succeed and when he had taken counsel with the people he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise them in holy attire as they went before the army, and this is what they sang, give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. I gotta stop here. Hey, you see what it says in verse 22? And when they began to what? When they began to sing and praise. But the, it, was, it was not just a song. It was a song of faith. It was a song believing in the victory of the Lord that they hadn't even seen yet. How did it begin? In prayer. Pray. Wait on the Lord. Pray. Wait on the Lord. When we wait on the Lord, God gives us a word, a prophetic word. But it begins in prayer. This is why. Right here on the hill. This has to be a house of prayer. It begins in prayer. And then when we wait on the Lord, we get a prophetic word. And then when we get the prophetic word, we pray some more. And when we pray, we cry out and worship. And out of our prayer life comes this worship. And as we worship, we watch God fight for us. We pray. We seek the face of God. We open up our word. We pray the word of God. God gives us a prophetic word. The prophetic word gives us a, a deeper understanding of what it looks like to worship in spirit and in truth because the Holy Spirit met us in our prayer time and the Holy Spirit revealed things in the word as we waited on the Lord and as we declared him to be God and as the Holy Spirit 
Spirit is moving in prayer and in the Word. Suddenly, it's more than a song. It's a cry. A cry of victory. But wait, you haven't seen the victory yet. I don't need to see the victory because I'm standing on the Word. But wait, the enemies are still coming from all over. Have you addressed that logistically? Have you worked out a little bit of a strategy? I'm standing on the Word. I need a prophetic Word before I move. Wait on the Lord, the word, the prophetic. We pray some more. Now, the Lord speaks again through the king. And this time, he says, wait on the Lord. And the Lord gives us this incredible word that says, and when you worship, I'm waiting for you to worship. When you worship, Elam students, when you lift up the name of God, then that is his cue to ambush the enemy who attempts to ambush you. When you worship, the Lord will ambush the enemy's plan to ambush you. He will create confusion in the camp as long as you and I understand the beautiful process. Y'all ain't catching Process. Worship until the Lord steps in and fights for you. Fights for you. Hey, maybe some of you heard this, but I feel like this is going to give it to you and, and, and give you a little bit more of a, an understanding of what I'm trying to say to you in terms of how powerful your worship, your cry, your roar is that comes out of prayer. As some of you know that I used to work for Nikki Cruz, traveled all over the world with them. But one of the toughest communities that, that we embarked upon as a, as a missions trip, as an outreach, was the Bronx. Anybody ever been to the Bronx? Oh, man. Thank you, Jesus, that you were back safely. It's one of the toughest communities I've ever worked out of. But I remember one particular year, many years ago, actually, we had set up an outreach in the Bronx. Speakers were up, Dr. A, a little music, subwoofers, everything like that. You know, I, some of you, you've heard me share, you know, we worked on hip-hop music that pointed to Jesus Christ and gave him all the glory and honor. And then we have testimonies in between the songs. And, and our, 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 our set, our presentation, was only about 15, 20 minutes long. But we'd come in for about a half hour and start to get things set up right there on the block in the neighborhood. We'd receive a permit to go wherever we want. Well, this young kid comes running up to me while we're getting set up for this particular outreach in the Bronx. And he says to me this, Dr. Case, y'all need to get out of here. I said, why? He said, because you don't know this whole area is Santeria, witchcraft. I said, well, bro, you don't know. I serve a living God who is Savior. His name is King Jesus, and he's so much bigger than Santeria. He's like, no, bro, you don't know. I said, no, you don't know my God. And he ran off. And I let the team know that we're setting up, and I let the young worshipers know, and the young ministers of the gospel, these young evangelists that I was raising up, young millennials at the time, and I said to them, listen, I just found out word that there's Santeria in the, in the area. Is anyone afraid? Nah, bro, we stand. We stand. All right, carry on. All right, carry on. And then we're almost there. Music cues up. All of a sudden, one song goes out. We're drawing this really incredible crowd. 
And then after that, there's a young man comes up and he's sharing testimony. And then the kid comes back to me again and says to me and Nikki Cruz's oldest daughter and his son-in-law, the three of us were standing together. He said, you all really need to get out of here because right now they're circling around you and they're chanting to Satan and they're going to cast spells on you. I said, there's no spell from hell that's going to be able to work and stop me from declaring the goodness of God. And it was a large crowd, so we couldn't really tell who was actually moving around in the circle or making a circle around us. It didn't matter. Cast away. Because when we call on the name of Jesus, when you call on the name of Jesus, every devil in hell has to run. one song, testimony, one more song, shared the gospel in five minutes, and hundreds came forward to receive Jesus right there on the block. Woo! That's not how the story ends. About eight to ten months later, my mother-in-law, at the time, she's passed on and she's with King Jesus in heaven right now. But she was a soul winner. But my mother-in-law comes knocking on my door. She first called and she goes, hey, I, I need to come over. Do you remember that Bronx outreach? I went, yeah, ma, yeah. She was like, I need you to meet somebody. I, I need to come over right now. I was like, oh, all right, yeah, it was fine. It was like right after dinner time, like 7 o'clock. Ma comes over. Tara and I are waiting. The door opens. My mother-in-law comes in. She's smiling. She's a little bit teary-eyed. She's so excited. I knew it was something good because she's just like super excited. And then this Puerto Rican man kind of walks in right after her. He's about middle age, and he's got tears coming down, and he sits down on my couch. I said, hey, I'm, I'm David Ham. What's your name? And he's like, oh, my name's John. I said, oh, what's up, brother? He said, hey. He goes, do you remember? Do you remember when you came to the Grand Concourse area in the Bronx, and you did like an outreach with Nikki Cruz? I said, oh, man, do I remember that? I said, that was pretty wild and crazy, but the Lord moved in a powerful way. He goes, I remember too. He goes, do you remember hearing like stuff that was going on in the streets? I said, yeah, it was like this kid that came and said that there was Santeria in the neighborhood and that it was, it was completely dominated by witchcraft. He said, yes, I sent that kid. That was my block. I was the witch doctor in that community, and I was four floors up in my apartment watching everything that you were doing. He begins to cry. He goes, and I was watching, and I knew that you all were Christians, and I knew that you all were about to talk about this Jesus and so I called all of my warlocks and I called all of my witches and I told them to start chanting and calling on, on Satan to stop and dismantle what you were doing in my neighborhood and I began pacing in my house and I was chanting and pacing and I realized every time I looked out the window to see what was going on nothing was working then I stepped back and I called on Satan one more time and I began to cry out, believing that the power that I knew would stop. And I looked out the window again and with tears, he could barely get the words out. And he says this, I looked out for the second time and when I looked out, I saw in the spirit realm a ring of fire around you as you all were worshiping and singing and this ring of fire we couldn't penetrate it and I dropped to my knees at that very moment and I knew right then that your God is greater than the gods that I have served and now this very day years later Johnny Ramirez still travels all over the world to tell people that there's only one God. 
And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And if God be for us, who can be against us? The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. Would you stand and worship and watch God fight for you? Come on, let's worship and watch God fight for you. Hallelujah.